0: Lift Health for All is a podcast from the Center for Health Equity Transformation, gathering voices in research and communities around Chicago. Conversations and interviews will discuss the importance of achieving health equity, highlighting health disparities, and exploring innovative ways to improve health for all. for joining us on Skinny Trees, Lift Health for All. We, like many of our fellow Chicagoans, are staying home and practicing social distancing to flatten the curve. We are here to present a mini-series, COVID-19 in our Chicago communities. Each mini-episode will focus on a different community in Chicago to find out how they are coping with these difficult times. This episode features our co-host, Rabia Ditu interviewing Dr. Garth Walker. He is an emergency medicine attending physician at the Jesse Brown Veterans Affairs Hospital. Dr. Walker is a postdoctoral trainee at our Center for Health Equity Transformation, working with Northwestern Medicine Emergency Department and Northwestern Bueller Center for Health Policy and Economics, investigating social determinants of health and firearm injury recidivism, and healthcare disparities related to opioid mortalities. Welcome, Dr. Walker, and thank you, Rabia, for hosting today.
1: Thank you, Araceli, Um, and thank you, Dr. Walker, for joining us today to have this conversation. I would like to start with uh, a first question about if you could please describe to our listeners uh, what you do, what your position is and department, and if you could also describe the community that you serve.
2: Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, so I am an emergency physician at the Jesse Brown VA Hospital. Uh, I split my time doing research at Northwestern, as mentioned, the Bueller Center of Health Economics and Policy, and also a co-founder of Clinify Health, is a tech knowledge platform that focuses on social determinants of policy. Um, but most of my time is spent clinically and I practice emergency medicine. So for all intents and purposes, that's special, specializing in emergency pre- presentations. That can be anything from strokes to heart attacks uh, to congestive heart failure, exacerbations, you name it. Uh, we know a little bit about everything, uh, not a lot about one thing, but we know just enough to save your life. Uh, so in this circumstance, uh, it has uh, presented uh, quite the opportunity for emergency physicians to uh, not only show our, our our specialty, but also just show how it impacts our healthcare system. And what we've been seeing recently uh, is an uptick in respiratory cases. Uh, as you may or may not know, COVID essentially Uh, attacks your respiratory system, and it it increases the likelihood of people having respiratory emergencies, one of those being acute respiratory distress syndrome. And we have been seeing that at higher rates uh, than we typically do. And given that our healthcare system uh, can only treat so many people, we've been instituting statewide a lot of public health initiatives such as social isolation, keeping people inside, so that our healthcare system can tolerate that spike uh, that is expected from a pandemic. Uh,
1: so it's been a lot of operational changes
2: and a lot a lot of clinical changes um, in my day-to-day.
1: Thank you for describing that to us and, and giving um, a bit of the background and giving people a sense of um, what, what you're confronting on a day-to-day basis. Um, my second question here is about how does the COVID-19 pandemic uniquely impact your community and um, bring the existing issues to the surface. I know you did talk about a bit about that, but if you could let us know a little bit more about the impact it's having on the- Sure. So
2: I'm born and bred in Chicago. I've grown up in Chicago my whole life uh, and essentially committed most of my career to social determinants of health. I tend to focus on thinking about how the disease has impacted vulnerable populations. And in Chicago who has been impacted has fallen along racial and economic lines. So it's been affecting the black and brown communities, the Latino communities, much more relative to white and higher socioeconomic communities throughout Chicago. Uh, So as early as last month, uh, one of the most startling statistics was that 70% of the mortality has been to the African American community. Uh, 70% of mortality due to the COVID crisis uh, comprised of African American community. And it's a similar story that's being seen uh, nationwide uh, when you think of St. Louis during a time which I believe was up to 100% Detroit as well as uh, Louisiana. And uh, oftentimes people think it is due to inherently your medical conditions, um, but what it is most likely due to is just the inherent social determinants of health that affect these communities more than others especially during a time when healthcare is tied so much so to wealth and your ability to work
1: thank you dr walker could you give a, a one a concrete example of a social determinant of health for our listeners to see how that might affect their health outcome yeah absolutely so uh,
2: one of the issues that i i brought that's a was that truly caught my attention was just the notion of social isolation. Uh, oftentimes in uh, immigrant communities, vulnerable populations, there's a lot of intergenerational uh, households, meaning you have multiple people living inside very tight confines. Uh, so the ability to uh, physically distance is much more challenging. So I had a patient that came in uh asking me about what to do for their their grandmother the reason why he was asking is because there was somebody who was a known covid positive patient meaning that they had the disease and their grandmother is typically very sick had m- multiple medical conditions so my my gut was to to say to him well she needs to physically isolate me. what's the, what are your options he's like there are no options and that's not an uncommon story what we ended up doing was essentially uh trying to be innovative in the sense that were there any family members that the grandmother could move to? Uh was there any friends' homes or could they uh live with you at least during the time being until uh this family member's symptoms subside? Um, but it it shows just the challenges that uh, Present for vulnerable populations, especially when there are high-density populations throughout the city, and uh, much different from areas throughout Illinois where it, it's essentially just easier to physically isolate and uh, and kind of a, avoid being vulnerable
1: to the to the public crisis. Thank you, Doctor Walker. And you know, in this line, um, when you're seeing these issues and in, in social determinants of health come up. What approach is needed, in your opinion, to address these rising disparities in infection and death rates um, on minority populations with COVID-19?
2: Yeah, no, that's a good
1: question. So when I think about uh,
2: social determinants of health and I think about vulnerable populations, I tend to think about the the context. And usually there's short-term interventions that you could do, and then there's also long-term interventions that you can do. But with specifically to the African-American population, there's a historical context and then there's kind of an active context. The historical context, I would say, is you cannot avoid the, the role that race plays in uh, poorer health care outcomes, especially when there are social and economic drivers at play. And with respect to the story of Chicago, there's a story of redlining, uh, which is the lack of ability to gain housing uh, which plays a huge role in uh, ability for a family to achieve wealth, pass down wealth uh, and kind of drive the income disparity. And in Chicago, uh, I'm sure everybody's heard the stat, but when you think of the Gold Coast and the West Side, there's a 30 year gap in life expectancy, uh, similar to, the, to how large the gap is with uh, wealth. And then when you add on the history of healthcare played towards uh, African-Americans with respect to uh, inappropriate research, uh, unfair research done on black and brown bodies and the lack of ability to gain off the findings such as Henrietta Lacks and stem cell research, you can, it's easy for me to understand when a grandmother or somebody that has some apprehension with embracing the healthcare system. And that plays a role in terms of medication adherence, uh, primary care follow-up, things of that nature. So that's probably the historical context and then the social economic context of how structural racism has played a role in terms of healthcare outcomes. The active issues that we could probably do right now is just to be intentional and recognize that different populations need more attention and need more intervention. So for example, testing, uh, it's clear that it's limited right now and, and uh, we're, we're trying to increase the amount of testing that can be done. And kudos to Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker who are doing that right now. But targeted testing, right? We know where the highest mortality is. We know where the density is. Target the mass testing towards, the, uh, towards our most vulnerable communities. Uh, when we talk about essential workers, Often made up of at high proportions of black and brown communities. How do we make ensure that they're protected and that they have the appropriate PPE? And are they getting the education that they need when they're living with intergenerational households? We have to be very targeted and very clear about our interventions uh, and make sure that they're reaching our most vulnerable populations. And then lastly, uh, AMP up delivery network if you have grocery uh, grocery store runs that family members are making usually the recommendations that I make to families that are dealing with these challenges is if you have somebody that's going to visit the grocery store have it be the youngest person and have it be the same person so we don't have
1: multiple people being uh, exposed to the virus thank you that those are all great great points and um, thank you for highlighting those for us Dr. Walker there's also, uh, you know, with this COVID-19 pandemic, we're seeing also a parallel um, issue with the misinformation out there. Um, as an example, uh, there have been these um, myths that circulate in social media regarding COVID-19, such as uh, that 5G towers caused the coronavirus. And sometimes these have especially sticky factor in minority, minority populations. Would you like to address? Um, some of that, or, or do you have any kind of uh, advice on when we're when seeing these, um, these come up in various forms?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, one of the uh, communities organizations
1: that I partner with
2: is Creating a Real Economic Destiny, and one of the things that they have done is allowed their men to serve as essential workers and become community health workers. And the beauty of that is that we have people from the community that knows the community. Uh, That will be sending targeted messages to essentially downplay these conspiracies and and start spreading the real facts and the real stats, as well as the real interventions that can help uh, save lives in our community. Uh, So for me, it's it's about being aggressive and being intentional uh, and trying to scan what are some of the most effective outlets to reach these communities. Uh, whether it be via the internet or highlighting leaders within the community to help serve as a conduit for these messages uh, to downplay these conspiracies and update them on what are some of the current facts and how we can help better our communities currently.
1: Dr. Walker, the next question I have for you is, um, how has this pandemic exacerbated medical racism in the African-American community in particular?
2: Uh, with respect to exacerbation, I think it's just uh, highlighted some outstanding uh, fragilities within our community. I think in Chicago it's easy to be insulated, and uh, since it's so segregated, but I think a lot of people who have been involved in the health disparities space was nervous about this when they knew a pandemic was coming. I think health disparities research is not new research. I think it's actually well researched, similar to lung cancer, heart attacks, all issues that have had great advancement uh, with respect to life expectancy, but healthcare disparities have not been able to get that advancement partially because a lot of the interventions will, are, will have to be due to social and economic policy. And a lot of that involves uh, getting mass, uh, mass onboarding as well as uh, equitable representation to help move and highlight the importance of these issues so in a sense i think they were already there um, but what the pandemic has done is lift the curtain and show just how bad the disparities are and just how vulnerable our communities are to uh, insults such as this
1: thank you my next question i have for you is um as we see the partial reopening in certain states, and um, as people are coming back to some sense of normal in day-to-day lives, what most concerns you about um, here in Illinois, the public returning to daily lives and their routines?
2: Uh, I think it's just premature for the most part. I think in order to have any reasonable improvement, we have to have mass testing, tracing, uh, just so that we have an idea of where the hot spots are, how we can strategize uh, reopening more effectively. I think when you look nationwide, it's become very political. And then even when I listen to other states, uh, the type of jobs that they're opening up, they're not necessarily jobs that you can physically isolate well. They're not necessarily jobs filled or they are jobs filled by uh, minorities when you think about uh, the communities that they weren't discussing i'm speaking mostly of georgia Uh, but i i think illinois will be a little bit different uh, just because we've been having a lot of progressive policies put forth under pritzker my only consideration and my only focus with respect to reopening is that we get testing to a level where we can at least uh do targeted interventions when it comes to our vulnerable populations we don't necessarily need to know we pretty much have a baseline of uh, just from the recent stats of who needs the most attention and uh, when i think statewide of who has the tests uh, we need to start providing more support to safety net hospitals that are serving these communities and where these where patients are more likely to go as well as ensuring that they not just have the ppe available but there's also a plan once we reopen the economy for jobs to be in place, benefits are equitably distributed. Those stats, I don't really know what
1: those are look like right now. Thank you. I, a couple of things you mentioned I just wanted to, to highlight and, and if you could help us to define one term. So PPE, you're referring to personal protective equipment, which it can be gloves, includes gloves, masks, hand sanitizer. Would it be also be part of that for the general public to be using those? as mandated now by the, um, by the governor to wear a um, mask or fabric covering when you go out in public and cannot um, socially isolate and socially distance. Another term you used was tracing. Could you describe this? Uh, I think you're referring to contact tracing whenever there is a confirmed case of COVID-19 with, with someone. could you please describe how that would work? Yeah, it's essentially it's just trying to trace back
2: the sources and who may be, who may be most exposed. So it's like mapping out how the disease started, kind of close to like a root analysis for a problem. So there's been talks of hiring people to be involved directly with that. I think that's a fantastic idea. I also think it's a fantastic idea to have national service programs to help support A, the high numbers of unemployment, but also B, to help mitigate uh, the issues related to the the crisis so that we can, uh, Go back to some normalcy um, but essentially it's just trying to track back where where the disease started and progressed
1: thank you so next question uh, we have a couple more questions left to ask with you um one is uh what long-term impact do you see this pandemic leaving on healthcare? care
2: uh, with respect to healthcare, i actually think uh we will probably be embracing virtual health a lot more as you may or may not know hospitals have essentially opened up most of their traditional outpatient centers or inpatient floors to just serve COVID patients and shutting down a lot of their outpatient clinics so we have been embracing virtual health at higher rates than we typically do now the concern is is virtual health penetrating our most vulnerable communities i don't know yet it's my concerns about the spike after the spike because one of the big questions is where are the strokes, where are the heart attacks, where are the things that we typically treat on a day to day going and what are they doing? Uh, are they getting their medications, et cetera? So the hope is that that extra spike is not manifested as heart attacks and a lot of people coming in cardiac arrest, um, but more so manifesting in the context of, they were able to get follow-up during this tough time and. Uh, they are still having good outcomes by, with virtual health as an outpatient mechanism. But that, that's more of a to-be-determined. Uh, with respect to the pandemic, I think this will be very vivid in people's minds, and I think on a broader broader thought process, it will, will definitely challenge the role that the federal system plays in terms of preparing for a pandemic and hospitals preparing for a pandemic. Uh, in terms of ventilators and making sure that there's not a lag and how much the cdc is funded which has traditionally been defunded and more more recently compared to to other times when uh, other other uh, administrations were a little bit more vigilant about it
1: thank you dr walker and um I have, I have a final question for you, but before I get to that, um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us that we haven't brought up already about COVID-19 or, or just in general, your experiences?
2: Um, no, I think we pretty much covered most of it. I think there's two ways to think about it. There's stuff that we can do in the hospital, and then there's other comp- other factors that play a large role. I think what we tend to miss is that we're all interconnected, and it's hard to express empathy or at least it's been my observation for other people to express empathy and myself included with people you don't know or don't have any connection with. But we really have to get back to a place where we are constantly considering how will our most vulnerable populations survive during a pandemic or during a recession or during any type of insult to our society that can essentially put them more at risk healthcare-wise and exacerbate social determinants of health.
1: Thank you, Dr. Walker. For our final question, um, what are some positive outcomes you see coming out of this pandemic?
2: Currently, I think it's definitely highlighted the importance of social determinants of health. I think it highlights, it's been highlighting a lot of the the topic of healthcare disparity. Uh, So anytime you can highlight something that probably should have gotten more attention in the past is a good thing but it's but again i'm uh, i'm patient to see how this reflects policy-wise and how this will affect the future i think some unintended positive that might happen which has been thrown around is expanding medicare uh, since uh, unemployment is so much tied to your ability to work i think if they expand it the question is: Is it going to be? Is it just going to be short term, or is it going to be something that society says we need to continue on and work with it, or expand the Affordable Care Act uh, in general? But I think those could be some unintended positives uh, that come out of uh, this crisis.
1: Thank you, Dr. Walker. Um, I appreciate your time, and I want to say on behalf of us and I, I think everyone, as we sit home and we um, you know observe. Um, you all on the front line, we really appreciate your work and your dedication to saving lives and keeping us all well.
2: Now, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for doing the great work and keeping up, the talking about very important topics uh, that need to be heard.
0: We would like to thank all of our city's health care providers and essential workers that are on the front lines and continue working hard to keep us all safe. We are grateful to you all. Stay home, save lives. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and authors and do not necessarily reflect or represent the views and opinions of the following entities National Institutes of Health, the National Cancer Institute, Northwestern University, Northwestern Medicine, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, the Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center, the Institute for Public Health and Medicine. University of Illinois at Chicago, and Northeastern Illinois University. Skinny Trees is proudly produced and edited in the Center for Health Equity Transformation, led by Dr. Melissa Simon at Northwestern University. Dr. Simon is a member of the United States Preventive Services Task Force, USPSTF. This podcast does not necessarily represent the views and policies of the USPSTF. Due to the social nature of this podcast, the content used might be copyrighted by another entity or person. This podcast claims no copyright to said content.